We are absolutely delighted today to welcome to this pulpit Reverend Steve Volstad, who is a missionary with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, along with his wife and three children, Philip, William, and Jessica, to the great city of Moscow, Russia. The Volsteads are in their second term of ministry with the Alliance and have been involved in evangelism and church planting. As you know, as we've explained to you in times before, Christy grew up here at First Alliance Church, married Steve. In fact, they will be celebrating their anniversary, I believe, next week sometime. And uh, three children later are serving with the Alliance in Moscow and doing a great job. We are proud of them. We've been delighted to have them in our midst this summer. Christy is doing her internship on our staff as a clinical counselor and has been a great blessing to so many already. Steve and the children will return to Moscow on July 26th and uh, will be a month without Christy and then she'll finish up her internship in late August and return uh, to be joined with the family once again. We're delighted to have Steve share from God's Word today. I know your heart will be challenged. Will you join me in giving a warm FAC welcome to our pulpit guest this morning, the Reverend Stephen Volstead. Thank you and good morning. It's good to be with you here. I just want to say thank you to you as a church. You know, every time we come here, come to Erie, uh, you just welcome us with open arms. And you make us feel like family, and I guess we are family, but we're gone most of the time. And we never have any hesitation when we return to know that we're going to be welcomed by your church overall and by so many individual people. You've uh, given my wife an opportunity to do her internship here, to finish her degree. My brother-in-law loaned me a belt so that I'd have one to wear today. Uh, You guys just about give us a shirt off your backs, and we're very grateful for that. So thank you. I just Before I begin, I want to give you two matters to pray about. Uh, first one is that a month ago, my first day uh, after I returned from Moscow, I got an email from our pastor in Moscow uh, saying that our last day as pastor of the church is September 1st, and we're leaving. Uh, he's only been pastor since last September. And though this wasn't ex- unexpected, it still leaves a lot to be discussed. It leaves a lot of decisions to be made Uh, There have been meetings taking place already. There will be more meetings when I return. And so we just need wisdom from the Lord, and we need your prayers for that. Secondly, if you've noticed in the bulletin for about the last month, uh, there has been an announcement for VBS workers needed in Russia. Now, Pastor Ben and I have had a few talks, a couple talks in the last month about partnership between FAC and either our church in Moscow or the Alliance Field in Russia What that might mean, we have no clue. We're just starting to talk uh, and throw out some ideas. This is one way that a few of you can get involved already. At our VBS, uh, which takes place at our fall retreat, every fall at the end of October, early November, down on the Black Sea. Um, And we're looking for three or four people. So if you're interested in that, be praying about it. Maybe the Lord wants you to go. uh, And if you feel that way, talk to Pastor Ben. Now, my brother Mark, who is the pastor of a Spanish Alliance church in Northern California, taught me the secret to a great sermon. He says, always have a good beginning, a good ending, and keep the two of them as close together as possible. (laughs) And 
So this is what I'm going to try to do this morning. While attending a university in London years ago, a young man became interested in the Christian faith. At the time of his graduation, he was almost convinced that this was the true faith. But he was still searching for evidence that it was practical and true. He later accepted a job in Africa and for seven months lived in the home of a Christian family. When he discovered that they were followers of Christ, he decided that this would, their home would be the ideal testing ground for the evidence that he was searching for. But as the months passed by, he saw nothing in their lives that attracted him. The family was apathetic towards him and their faith. They didn't reach out to him or to others, and they were casual in their commitments in general. Because of this, they never connected with him. And consequently, his interest in God turned to disappointment. As a result, he left his pursuit of Christ and went a different direction, eventually moving back to his home country. And this story has repeated itself over and over throughout the years. And today, Christians continue to not connect, to not reach out to a seeking world. So this morning, I want us to look at a story which shows us that Christ's desire and intention for each of our lives differs greatly from the life that this family lived and from the lives that we often tend to live. And we're going to look at the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10, or you can just look on the screen behind me. Luke 19, 1 through 10. It's written, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you're here today and you're present in the person of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you will make it to be that my words would be from your very heart. That those sitting in this room uh, will put aside distractions and cares of life for this hour so that they can hear you speak to them. May you open ears. May our hearts be open to hear what you would have to say to each of us this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning I want us to look at three important facts that we learn about Jesus in this passage. And the first one is that Jesus never turns away those who anxiously seek after him. We see this in the first four verses. Now, usually in life, it's kids who are climbing the trees, right? While they're playing or because they want to see something interesting. They're small and they want to be higher up. 
so that their view will be better. And we all understand this because we were all kids at one time. And most likely, most of us played and while we were playing, climbed in trees. But in this case, the person who's climbing the tree isn't a kid, but an adult. And he's not just any adult or just a stranger. He's a chief tax collector. And you know what this meant? This meant that people knew him. Because he was the guy who took their money. He was the guy who collected their taxes. And they hated him because of this. And because he often took more than he needed to. As you may know, this was a very dishonest, corrupt profession at that time. And some of you may say that it's still not a very honest or corrupt profession today. But I'm not going to go that far because I know that we have one tax collector in the room this morning. Um, and I have a pretty good understanding of what Zacchaeus felt uh, and how people had a great dislike for those in this profession. After I had just graduated from Tico Falls College in Georgia, I worked for six months in the tax office of a neighboring county uh, in Georgia. And my job was to go up to each property, drive to each property in the county to find out how much land they own, how many buildings were on the property. I had to personally measure the outside of each building to make sure we had all the correct records. How many square feet were in their home? Was their basement finished or unfinished? And so on. And all of this was done so that the tax office would know how much money to collect from the owner for that year. And you know what? People hated me. I mean, they didn't know me at all. Uh, I mean, I was an honest guy just trying to do his job. But when they would see my car drive up to their home with a tax office sign right on the side door, they didn't want to have anything to do with me. I had one man with his adult son compare me to Hitler and threaten to kill me. And I don't doubt that he would have tried to, given the steam that was coming out of his ears. So I didn't even give him a chance, and I just booked out of there pretty quickly. When we talk about money, and when strangers tell us what we should do with our money, we don't like that very much. It's our money, we earned it, and we want to spend it like we want to. And we don't want to give a percentage of it to somebody we don't trust. And this is why people hated Zacchaeus. But if you notice in this story, this didn't seem to bother him at all. Zacchaeus, what we see here, is that Zacchaeus really wanted to see Jesus. He didn't care that people would probably laugh at him seeing an adult man climbing a tree. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And no one was going to stop him. The Bible says that people only search for God when God has already begun working in their lives. Jesus said in John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And we don't know if Zacchaeus was searching for truth or if he just wanted to see a famous guy. But it's clear in the story as we read that God had already begun to work in his life, whether Zacchaeus knew that or not. The main idea here in this part of the story is not only that Jesus never, that Jesus never turns away those who earnestly seek after him, but even more important, 
It's that Jesus also seeks us. Zacchaeus really wanted to see Jesus. But even more importantly, Jesus really wanted to see Zacchaeus. You see, Jesus has such a great love for people that he actively searches for them. And we find these types of examples throughout the Bible, in our everyday lives, and in our churches. And we have several of these kinds of examples in our church in Moscow. When our Alliance missionary team uh, began working on planting the Open Door Church in Moscow, we understood that we had our work cut out for us. We realized that the majority of our time needed to be spent in developing relationships and finding ways to meet people in a way that was natural and would allow for openness in relationships with them. Moscow is a city of around 14 or 15 million, and there's about one evangelical church for every 100,000 people. So it's not too difficult to find unchurched people. But it's a much harder task finding ones who are open to spiritual things uh, and to us as foreigners. And I won't go into detail of all that we've done in order to try and develop relationships, but I will say that without these efforts, that Natasha, three years ago, an antagonistic atheist, may not be a believer today. Natasha has now been a Christian for two years for the last year, was leader of our Alpha Evangelistic course, which meets weekly in our home. Next month is enrolling in Bible College in Russia. Next week, leaves on a short-term missions trip, month-long internship in an Alliance church in Spain, and has plans to become a foreign missionary sent out from our church. And you can read her testimony in the September or October edition of A Life. If Natasha hadn't come to Christ or come to Alpha, who knows where her brother Kolya would be. But Natasha invited Kolya to the fall, this past fall's Alpha course, and Kolya accepted Christ. Natasha also invited Vasya to the Alpha course. And Vasya has yet to accept Christ, but he invited his sister Masha to the spring course. And in March, on the Alpha weekend away, Masha gave her life to Christ. Sasha invited his cousin Olya to the spring course. And though neither of them has accepted Christ yet that we know of, both of them had made big strides in that direction. And our prayer is that this small developing trend of people inviting their friends and family members will continue and that it will just begin to snowball. Jesus didn't turn away Natasha or Masha or Olya or Uh, when they were searching for him. And he didn't turn away you, and he didn't turn away me when we were searching for him. Let's return now to Zacchaeus. And the second fact that we learn in the story is that Jesus associated with non-believers, with non-Christians, or as they're called in the passage here, with sinners. And we see this in verses 5 through 7. Now, as I've already said, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And because of this, people hated him. Good, honest people didn't associate and don't associate with such people. And when Christians do associate with these types of people, the church's reaction is often very negative. Let's take a look again at what happened in this passage. 
We read that when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was in the tree, that he told Zacchaeus that he wanted to go to Zacchaeus' house. What we see here is that Jesus began the conversation with him. Jesus wanted to spend time with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbed the tree in order to see Jesus. But it was Jesus who approached him. And without a doubt, Jesus knew the kind of reaction there would be from the people, especially from the believers who were there and who witnessed all of this. And he knew that the reaction would most likely be negative. But he did it anyways. And it didn't stop him from approaching Zacchaeus and going to his house later. So let's take a look at verse 7 then, at the reaction of what the people were, uh, what the people was. The people who were there around Jesus, who witnessed all of this uh, when he invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Verse 7 says, All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's going to be the guest of a sinner. He was immediately judged for his actions. How can this be that our rabbi, our teacher, is associating with such people? He's going to the house of a sinner, a non-Christian. What in the, what, what's this world coming to? And it's sad that we in the church, often still today, 2,000 years later, have the same reaction. We think and we try to reason, how can I live uh, a sanctified life? How can we please God and at the same time spend time with non-Christians? The church, meaning us, is very quick to judge those who spend time in friendships with non-Christians because we think that the Christian will begin to compromise his beliefs and fall away from Christ. We're afraid that the non-Christian world will begin to influence us. And so we pull away. And to a degree, this is understandable. But we have to remember that we have an example in the Bible who shows us that we need to spend time with unbelievers. And that example is Jesus. And this passage clearly shows us the importance and necessity in doing this if we want to change our world. Because this world won't change and this country won't change, and our neighborhoods won't change, if we, the church, don't get out there taking Jesus' example, beginning to develop relationships in the unbelieving world and influence it for Christ instead of sitting in our homes and in our churches condemning everything that goes on in society around us. Because that will never and has never changed one life. That's not how Jesus did it, and that's not how we should do it. During his 50-year-plus ministry, Billy Graham often invited non-Christians to his crusades. And these were usually famous, popular people, singers, actors, actresses, mayors, governors, whom he would even invite onto the stage, often to say a few words of greeting. And you may know that churches and believers, especially in the first years of his ministry often reacted very negatively to this. They would say that he was compromising with the non-Christian world. But you know what? He was simply trying to influence these people for Christ. These were the kind of people that 
would never, didn't and wouldn't go to a church on a Sunday morning. But they would gladly accept an invitation from Billy Graham to go to one of his crusades as his personal guest. In my opinion, following Jesus' example in this story with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is more important than the church's reaction. And we have other examples in the Bible when Jesus knew that the people would react negatively to his words or his actions. But he did it anyways. Why? Because he loved those people. Just as Francis Chan said in the video. And as he said in the Gospel of Mark, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We say that we want to live like Jesus lived. But are we really willing to get out of our nice little Christian world to do that? Do we even know what that means when we say that? Following the examples of Jesus, Billy Graham, and many others throughout history, it seems to me that if we truly show love to others, if we invest in the lives of Christians and non-Christians, then we're following Christ's words when he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The third thing we find out about Jesus in this story is that Jesus transforms lives. And we see this in the last three verses, 8 through 10. And we don't know how much time Jesus spent with Zacchaeus, but we do know one important fact. Personal time with Jesus transformed Zacchaeus' life. Time with Jesus showed Zacchaeus that he was a sinner and that he needed to have his life changed. And so he says in response in verse 8, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay him back four times the amount. This reminds me of the story of a guy who had given his life to Christ. Um, you might have heard this story before. Apparently, before this, he had stolen some money from a company, was now beginning to feel guilty, not sleeping very well. And so he wrote a letter to that company and said, Dear sir, I've been placed in the envelope a certain amount of money which I stole from you. If I continue to sleep poorly after this, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> this story differs a little from that one. In this story, Zacchaeus promises to return even more than he took. The thing we learn here is that Jesus transforms lives. We've already heard this morning about how personal interaction, personal interaction with followers of Jesus transformed Natasha's life and Kolya's and Masha's life. And many of us in this room can testify about how, how Christ has changed your lives and continues to change your life every day and lives of people around you. And he's changing and transforming lives of people around this world every day. I think Jesus' life and ministry can best be summarized in the final verse of this passage where he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus came to change and transform our lives. 
I began this message with the story of a young man interested in the Christian faith who was living with a Christian family while he worked for seven months in East Africa. But that family never reached out to him or tried to influence his life for Christ. And as a result, he lost interest in Christianity and ended up moving back to his home country. That young man was Mahatma Gandhi. That family in Africa had no idea who was in their midst. They missed out on their opportunity to influence Gandhi, one of the most influential men of the 20th century, because they didn't understand that living the Christian life means being witnesses, influencing others for Christ. As Jesus stated, it's God who draws people to himself. But you know, he uses people to bring those seekers to himself. He uses people to fulfill his plans and desires. God has placed you in this place, in this city, in your neighborhood, in your job, in your school, at this time in history, for a reason. And it's not to make more money. And it's not to move up the ladder at work. And it's not to buy the newest car. He placed you here to make an impact on this world for Him. If you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and God, then your purpose in life is to know Him and to make Him known to others. And that purpose isn't just for pastors and missionaries. We are called to be witnesses, to influence people for Christ. I want to challenge you this morning as I close to think about your life and friendships and what steps you need to take in developing friendships with people who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And He wants to use you and me to be those who are bringing the lost to Him. Let's pray. Father, it's not easy to be a witness. It's not easy to live a a good Christian life in this world. It's not easy to share our faith verbally with people. It just doesn't come naturally to any of us. And it doesn't come naturally because it has to be supernatural. It has to come from the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we need to rely on that and depend on you and ask you for it daily. And so I pray for your special blessing, the anointing of your Holy Spirit, and His power over the people in this church, that they would be witnesses, that they would understand your plan and purpose for them in this world is to influence others for Christ. And may may that be the way they live daily. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.